Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to overtime! Great to be back with you. It's Sabres Live Overtime. It's the all over the map edition, Marty. I apologize for this in advance, but when you've been in isolation, uh, you feel the need to get out and, uh, you know, reach out to every aspect of what's been going on in the last seven days and, of course, beyond hockey uh, itself. But apologies that... (laughs) If my skin tone has matched my hat and jersey color, which is black and white, I I feel like I've lost a little bit of the tone um, since the end of summer and now deep into fall. But uh, it's great to see you. I wish it was uh, under slightly better circumstances. The Sabres have found themselves now uh, losers of three straight in regulation. That is the second time in this window post hockey fights cancer night that they have found themselves in this situation, which is kind of my launching pad here. Um, on Hockey Fights Cancer Night, they had one of their best goaltending performances of the year. Mm-hmm. It was Devin Levi against Minnesota. And since then, they've gone 3-7-1. and one, But I feel the need to bring it back to goaltending because they had an exceptional performance from Uko Pekalukkanen in yesterday's game against the Nashville Predators, but did not come out with the victory. And goaltending, of course, has been a big story. Yes. Through all of this last 11 games, because Levi is now down with Rochester and Comrie and Lucan are trying to find their way. How do you view the goaltending within where they're at right now, which is basically where they were a year ago? And I need to stop talking. <laughs> no, I, I totally see what you're saying because it's so confusing, right? Like a year ago, you're thinking how oh, the goaltending is not where it should be at. Obviously, we're going to. Hope that Craig Anderson can play some games. And Eric Comrie, um, it was his first year with the Sabres, and then he had the injury, and what do we get out of Lukanen? It was was still a big question mark. And I felt like this year, at least you could say, hey, this is going to be a positive. And look, the positive did not come from Devin Levi, although there was a couple of really performances that you're like, that's great. And Mm -hmm. that's maybe a look more to the future. It's fine. He's in Rochester now. He's developing, and that's good. Lukanen's playing well. My issue is not so much with goaltending, is with the defending that is exposing some of the glorious chances, right? I mean, you, I I hate when I get this sometimes from, from people where things are not going well and then they tease you with something good, right? You play in New Jersey and it's 7-2 and you're like, oh, this was not a good game. And then they tease you with that Rangers game. And you're like, oh, yes, like give me more of that. And then after that, they go St. Louis, Carolina, where it's more of the New Jersey game. And it almost kicks you back further than where you were, right? And so the goaltending in those instances, we're not – Eric Comrie blamed himself. He says, I need to be better. And I get that. You know, as a goaltender, that's what you want to do. But I'm not going to say that goaltending is the reason why they lost 7-2, 6-4, and 6-2 in three of those four games. It is not the problem. Lukanen has had a really good start to this season and has played, like, above my expectations. Great. Mm -hmm. Continue to do that. Comrie still hasn't gotten into his rhythm after the injury, kind of like last year, and he hasn't played a lot. So why do you add the three goals? So for me, it's not about goaltending. The numbers are not where you want them to be. They're actually worse, say, percentage-wise, than they were last year. 
So that's tough, but there's because a few of games, the last four to because five of games. the last, yes. you know, you got yeah. three games where you've given up six, six, and seven. And the shots were like 20, six goals on 20, and seven yeah. goals on, on it's not like you're facing 50 shots. So that hurts. But the goaltending, in my opinion, is ahead of where it was last year. So I, I I don't know. It's it's hard to look at the numbers and look at the eye test and say, well, what do you think about goaltending? I think goaltending's been fine. That's not the issue. Well, some things within that, as far as how it ultimately impacts the game, they are still in a situation where opponents are scoring at a higher percentage on their high yeah. danger chances than what the Sabres are. In round numbers, it's basically about 12% for the opposition. It's about 9% for the Sabres. That's a big difference when you spread it out over the course of games. And, yes. you know, it's also, it ties in with where Buffalo was top six in shooting percentage overall in all situations last year, which led to them being a top five offensive team. This year, they're around 20th in shooting percentage. And you can look at any number of players through the roster that obviously aren't scoring at the same clip. And now they've added potentially to their injury uh, absences yes. in the roster with, you know, future news on Alex Tuck this week. We'll see. So there's a lot to dive into there. Um, but I, I, I do, unless you want to dovetail off of that here real quick. Uh, I'll ducktail out of this because no, I have do, been dovetail, not dovetail, not... ducktail. Remember the, the show ducktail? It was like a cartoon back in the days. Ducktails. No, but I have to apologize for something we talked about a while back when we were talking about lottery numbers. Yeah. Six, the lotto 636 thing yeah. was a deal in Quebec, but it yes. was not was not in Ontario. So it's 649, so. but we did have 636. My dad used to come home with a so ticket did, for each the, of them. I did the research. For okay, you. good. I'm, I'm glad that I didn't even do the research. I'm like, maybe I dreamt of something, right? right. But anyway, okay. uh, here's the thing. I have been having this internal debate within myself the last couple of weeks here, the last 10 days probably, yeah. is with the injuries, right? And I... I I look at it and I said, is injuries a huge part of what it is? When I hear Kevin Adams and Don Granado talk about compete, I'm saying it's not about the injury. It's right. like, like the compete factor has nothing to do with the injury. I don't care if you're a Rochester call up, if you're a first year guy or a 12th year guy, the compete has to be there. Mm -hmm. Right. But then I also look at some of the numbers last year. After 25 games of the season, you had five Sabres that had 24 or more points, almost a point a game, right? You had five of them. You had Tage Thompson, who's hurt, right? You had Skinner, who played with Thompson. You had Tuck, who played with Thompson, but now Tuck, we'll see what happens. You had Darlene, and you had Dylan Cousins, who had a great start to the year last year, which earned him a deal and everything. This year... Zero, zero Sabres at 24 points or more. The closest is Casey Middlestat. And right. all of this is that I think that the Tate Thompson absence definitely impacts a lot of the results. Like if if the Sabres had scored five more goals in the in in the nine games that Tate Thompson missed, five more. Either Tate scores five or his impact is five more goals they'd be top 12 in the NHL in goals four. Now they're not going to get back to second in the league, right? Because the, the amount of guys that outperformed or had right. career year was incredible. So I'm not asking for 10 for sec second in the league, but if you're top 10, top 12, yes. maybe it's a different thing. So that's where like my, my whole issue now is my internal debate is are the injury to Tage Thompson and potentially talk or others 
affecting them, not only like in the win-loss record, but in everything else falling into place. And so I said, the numbers are showing yes, but then I hear coaches and Kevin Adams talk about competing. I'm saying, no, everybody should be able to compete and overcome that next man up mentality is what you need. So where they're having the biggest problem clearly is first periods, game starts, and we could go through a bunch of numbers, but I'll spare you. It prompted the question to Don on Sunday, which I was going to ask regardless in a different way, is this a physical or a mental problem or both? Because Don, of course, got into the psychology of, you know, knowing the fact that you need to have a better start and and all the rest of it. Um, Like, how do you see it? Because like last night was a, another example of at the end of it, the numbers got closer and you could say, well, was that score effect? Because again, they were down early in the game and it's just a natural progression that things are going to level out based on the fact you're trailing and you have to claw back. How do you view all this mental, physical, both? Okay. So mental, um, I, I think that they are internally battling getting good starts and all of a sudden getting bad bounces or not having good start and having to claw back like St. Louis for me, the Sabres outplayed the blues and they're down three, nothing. I'm thinking like you had the better chance. You had the better zone possession, you had everything. St. Louis just somehow scored on a face-off scored on a power play and scored on a wide open rebound guy, Jake neighbors in front of the net. Nashville scored on a face-off too. Nashville scored on a face-off, but I didn't think the Sabres. No, I know, but you know, I didn't think the Sabres had the good start against Nashville. The high danger chances after one were 10 to three for Nashville. Now second period got better. Third period it flipped. And I think Nashville was just, you know, they, 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 they didn't have a good start to the season, five and 10. They were better in the last eight, six and two. But, you know, they're still a little fragile in that sense. They backed yeah. off a lot on what the Sabres were able to pour it on. Mm-hmm. So that's the mental approach is that when you have a good start, you're getting bad bounces and then you're back in your net. When you don't have a good start, you're still giving up goals. You're not getting that bounce. That's one. Two, for me, it's the physical side of it is more about what do you need to do to push the other team into making mistakes. You know, yeah. I, I, yesterday, I love when that happens. That doesn't happen all that often. After the first period, my breakdown in the first intermission was look at Nashville. They're clogging up the middle of the ice, right? Mm-hmm. So what the Sabres are trying to do is play on the half wall, get it to the point, and then try to get a shot and get it through. It's getting blocked. They're not getting there. The one chance they had in the first period that I thought was good was a play from behind the goal line. So mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, when you play from behind the goal line on a team that's playing zone coverage and is clogging the middle of the ice in the defensive zone, it's going to open up like, like options because everybody's looking at buying the net. They they don't have their heads on a swell. And then in the second period, you got Darlene Chance, you got Dylan Cousins Chance, you had Zach Benson Chance, like from buying the net to the front. So I'm like, that's physical. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you need, well, it could be mental too, but knowing what you need to do and executing it early on. I don't think Don Granado went in the room after the first period and said, guys, we need to change the way we're going to approach the game. We need to completely change our attack. No, he's just going in and saying, hey, look at what we talked about pregame. This is how they're going to play. Execute what we talked about and you're going to get chances. Yeah, take what's given to you, right? There's always going to be an area of the ice that you can expose. So this, and this is kind of funny because it's, (laughs) it's also from behind the net in some cases, um, but it's at the other end. And my question to you, because you also illustrated this last night, tell me the benefits and the drawbacks 
to the repeated stretch pass attempts. They were very specific against Nashville. You talked about it many times this year mm -hmm. based on how certain teams, Flyers, Rangers, et cetera, Capitals try to defend. Darlene obviously hits a home run pass to Olofsson, which leads to the penalty shot, which leads yeah. to the goal, the only goal. And it was over and over and over again. And I'm curious, you know, what impact this has on a game when you opt, when you believe that your best option here is a stretch pass as opposed to coming out collectively as a group. Well, I, I also think this comes to the whole injury issues, right? You, If you don't have Thompson and all of a sudden you, you don't have Tuck and you don't have Jack Quinn, then all of a sudden you're like, who are my puck carriers through the neutral zone? Who are the guys that can generate speed? Casey Middlestad's having a really good season, but he's not the puck carrier carry, like going with speed through the neutral zone. So yeah, and, and Skinner is not that guy either. He's more like, get me the puck at the far blue line. Then I'll enter the zone. I'll 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 execute something. So for me, the injury part of that affects how you want to play in transition. The Casey Middlestad goal in Carolina was on Saturday night. was a long stretch pass from Dowling to Tuck. Tuck chips it in the neutral zone. Casey skates into it, scores, right? Mm -hmm. That, um, it, Skinner tried one before the Olofsson uh, penalty shot. Dowling tried to hit Skinner in a long pass. But also, look at what St. Louis did, right? Look at what Carolina did. They did a lot of flipping pucks out in the yep. neutral zone, a lot of long stretch pass. Why? Because Sab the Sabres, in my opinion, are trying to be very aggressive on the forecheck that you, you back him off. So now if the Sabres take a page out of that and they feel they have a lot of pressure under, under stress from the other team's forecheck, the long stretch pass is going to back him off because now, yeah. even though you may not execute it, if you just deflect it, put it in the offensive zone, those guys from the other team that are putting pressure on the D are like, ah, I got to go back in the zone now because I overworked in the offensive zone. So it mm -hmm. backs everybody off. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a high, low percentage play, I will say, the long stretch passes. Mm -hmm. But if you can get into a rhythm, because you really don't have a lot of speed in transition right now, you're missing a lot of big guys. That to me is maybe one, one way you can help transitioning from defense to offense. Um, I'm not saying that's going to work every time, but at least it's one of the ways you can try to make it work. Well, you said low percentage, and I'm going to agree with you. That's not to say don't use it. It's just it does feel like you can't rely on it as an exclusive breakout attack method consistently yes. through the course of a game. Now, you just said they maybe don't have as much speed right now, but we all know the puck moves faster than the man. Yes. So why are collectively they ha why are they having such difficulty going two passes, three passes, four passes is again, I'll go back. Like, is this is this other team's adjustments or is it self-inflicted right now? I think it's mostly self-inflicted. I don't see this team moving the puck quickly it's you get it on the stick and then all of a sudden it's two three strides slow down a couple puck handle where's my next pass and look you do have some players that are playing in different roles right different line mates uh Casey Middlestat with Tuck and Skinner, they did it at the end of last year. They were successful. They kind of know where they are on the ice at all times. Um, Zach Benson is getting there. The, Zach Benson is getting 
success and by hard work. His compete level is through the roof. And I think that's an example with all of that. Zach Benson just had his best game in the NHL. Yeah, Last night, absolutely. Was, oh my gosh, Marty. The but numbers. what is it? It's compete. It's right. compete, compete, right. and compete. He was 77% Corsi last night, 27, four, eight against now, like, okay. You just opened up another thing here. I but. said something out loud yesterday from the set and about five rows in front of me heard it. So Benson tried to do well, a I hope back it was better end. than what cousins said. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I didn't say that, <laughs> but it was between the legs back, like a back pass between his legs that I think he was going to Paterka or maybe cousins. I, I wrote it down, but I didn't write to whom I wrote. Oh, yeah. Benson between the leg pass. And I looked over to, uh, to Chrisanne, maybe on my right or Howard. And I don't remember. And I said, huh, the kids got confidence oozing him out of him. Right. And mm -hmm. then there's people in front of me in the set that, kind of look back like what's marty talking about i'm like look did you not see that pass like he's got so much confidence oozing out of him like it's incredible individually through his game logs like statistically sunday night was was his best and i thought it was amazing to watch him um you know because as you predicted uh in the preseason and then as we have seen he's no stranger to agitating he's no stranger to taking penalties and that's yeah. going to be good and bad over the course of his career but there was a restraint last night there was um making sure like i'm going to do everything to upset them but not take a penalty uh he stood his ground i i'll tell you i, I couldn't get over how good zach benson was last night and then it led me down this path which okay. is evaluation versus expectation yeah so benson has now played 15 games has seven points um i'm going to say has lived up to or exceeded expectations yes. as an 18 year old on this team based on he couldn't he did everything right he's done everything asked so just keep enjoying it right byro roseanne rusek kulik have combined to play 14 games they have the two by row goals, including an empty mm -hmm. netter in his first game. And then I'm left with, okay, this is really unfair to compare, but it does. So that said, that's two points for that they, group for the whole group. Yeah. But they've also played very limited minutes, completely yeah. different situations and configurations. And guess what? If you're looking for a bright spot, the bright spot was the organization knew right from the start that Zach Benson was trending the right way and yes. absolutely deserves this opportunity and deserve to go beyond nine games and deserves to continue being in the top six. The question is, is how do you evaluate the others and how can they still impact this group and try to get, and try to have an impact on this group to make it start trending the right way. And so Marty, I'm sitting here af not afraid. Like I'm sh unsure of how to ask the question because I don't know how these guys are going to do what Benson has been doing. So Benson has been put in a great situation. First it was with, you know, he played with Tracy like Middlestat. Because I feel like he's earned it. So to He's say earned he's it. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Benson has earned himself a great situation. Yeah. Uh, there is injuries, which opened the door and he, Blew the but door he was there out of the before that. He was on the top line in preseason and he stayed there. Yes, he was <laughs> like 
Absolutely. But I think he blew the hinges off the door. And look, if you had your whole lineup healthy with Quinn and Thompson, like you would have to play Benson in your top six right now. And, and definitely your top nine, but your top six and, and given that opportunity. Now, here's how you evaluate the other ones. It's 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 not going to be every shift and every game, but for me is how comfortable are they getting with certain situation? And what I have liked is that Don Granado now, instead of playing Byro on a line and playing Roseanne on a different line and say, okay, we can't put those two together. He's put them together to finish the game and, yeah. and actually started the game before because, you know, they... Um, you know, Greenway left, so you had to manipulate a little bit your your lineup. But there was Roseanne with Byro and Olofsson as a line, Ooh. and because they moved Jost with Krebs and Oposo, and and for me, they didn't look out of place. So now I'm thinking, instead of putting players in a role that maybe they're not is not suited for them, like Roseanne's not gonna play a fort line game. Like it's not his game. It's not how he plays the game. But if you put him with Byron and Olafson, maybe he can find some some action, some interaction, some chemistry. And I feel that's when you be able to evaluate them better. You know, mm-hmm. if Rusek comes up, he's in a different kind of category. He's a little older. Can like Don Granado really well, like younger Rusek. than Byro, older than the kids. Than the kids, so. yeah. But he's more of a guy that will be that bottom six, even maybe fourth line guy that can play in different situation. So that's how you evaluate Rusek, not with the goals and the assists. I think the other players, Kulik and Roseanne and, and even Byro to that extent, you put him in a six situation to, to have some jump, right. And play in a role that they were in Rochester. And, and I think putting Roseanne with Byro and Olofsson helped giving them that look a little bit. Yeah, I mean he's still not getting a lot of minutes. I am so no. anyway, it's it's I just think, you know, it it's a worthy topic here because we don't know who's going to be in the lineup the rest of the week when they take on Detroit and Boston and Montreal and Arizona in the next yeah. four games. And you know, the coach said it uh if not last night then the game before and probably the game before that and that is, you know, like there is opportunity here <laughs> because of who's not in the lineup. So, and, and that's the thing. Like, so Benson has been consistently making the most of his and I think somehow, some way, and whether that's fair or unfair, I mean, it's the NHL. If you're on the roster, you're an NHLer. So you have an opportunity to do something, right? And you're, there's a depth chart, internal depth chart. And if you're Correct. the next man up, you got to yes. go out there and play it and you got to fulfill a role. And Look, I, I've seen goal scorers in the AHL get called up to the NHL and having oh to change their game and play a different game. That's how it works sometimes. Well, I mean, it's completely, it's more of a, it's not even a fair comparison, but I'll say this a week from now, we're going to be seeing Arizona come in and Michael Carcone leads yeah. the NHL in shooting percentage right now, undrafted, 27 years old, has 11 goals on 33 shots. It's remarkable. And he's been trending the right way in the AHL. So again, park draft status, guys can do this, right? And everybody has their time. All I'm saying is, I think Sabre fans would agree, now is the time for somebody, many, 
Many people. Yeah, <laughs> they many would people like are saying, people hey, many people Thomas. were excited to see Thomas Vanek his first year. He ended the year being a healthy scratch. It happens, but yeah. you also have to evaluate where Tough they are. Culture. Are they 19 years old, 20 years old? Are they 25? Where do they go, right? That's yeah. that's how you do the evaluation of those players. Okay, thank you for bringing this up to allows me the natural segue. Victor Olofsson is the only Sabre in franchise history to go two for two yes. on penalty shots. And... He is the only player to score on his first two penalty shots. Now, Vanek went two for five in his career. Shatan went two for five yes. in his career. Both of them scored on their first opportunity. Then it took multiple attempts before they got their second goal. So Victor stands in an incredibly unique history because not only is he two for two, he has not won a game. The Sabres have not won a game when he has when scored, he scored on, a on a penalty shot. So anyway, that's my digression for the podcast. I just thought, uh, you know, somebody might want to know. I was looking at the names of that list of players in Sabres history that have had penalty shots. Mm -hmm. uh, Gilbert Perrault three times scored on one, one of them. One for three, yeah. One for three. Um, I'm like, how did Dave, Dave Anderchuk get two penalty shots in his career? He well, was 0 for 2. I know why he didn't score, because he was tired by the time he got there. Well, yeah, he already had gotten a breakaway, which doesn't happen often. He's like, suck and win. Or maybe there was a puck being covered in the slot in the, in the crease by a player and the best player on the ice is hey andy you take that one yeah. um how did maxim finnegan i've only get one penalty shot in all his years with the buffalo sabers the guy was uh, always on breakaways uh, but maybe he's Jeff too Skinner. fast i know but maybe at finnegan was too fast there was nobody that could check him when he got on a breakaway but it was kind of interesting to look at that list right uh brent Pedersen uh had three as well there, there was a few guys with three and then you jump to like Vanek and Satan with five mm -hmm. each, which was uh, I, I could have I could have probably guessed Satan. I didn't know Vanek had that many of them, but Satan always found himself on a penalty shot. UC Saros, by the way, has stopped six of nine in his career after uh, allowing a third one last night to Olafson. The one thing people should not be surprised by is the fact that Nashville won on Sunday in Buffalo. They are 13, 3, and 1 all-time in Buffalo. That is their best road mark. And I was thinking, this has to be such an anomaly, but it's not. For some reason, the Predators franchise loves New York State and area. Yeah. Listen to this. They are 45, 15, and 5 all-time on the road against the Sabres, the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Devils. That is a 731 points percentage, yeah. and it makes zero sense, other than the fact that outside of the first few years, the Predators have been a very, very, very good NHL franchise and consistently have a winning record. But still, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And then, you know, uh, UC Soros, who started his, his career 0-5-1 against the Buffalo Sabres, now won his last two. His first mm -hmm. NHL game was against the Sabres. And look, I, I can remember my first NHL game against Pittsburgh, and I didn't play well. And it always kind of gave me that bad feeling against Pittsburgh, especially mm -hmm. when playing at the old Mellon Arena, the Igloo. Um, so I was hoping that Soros would have that same feeling. Hey, you know what? Like, I've not had the numbers against the Sabres. He was really good. Although in the first period on Sunday night, he had some weird rebounds around him. But then he dialed it in. And a save he made on Dylan Cousins. That was incredible. And, and those are the type of saves that you need, right? You want a high-caliber NHL goaltender? You need those saves. Lucan made some of those saves against Nashville. Just, yes. you know, gave up two in the first. And it was too much.
it was actually a really interesting 2-1 NHL game. Um, yeah. Because both teams were close to 70 shot attempts. The goals for expectation-wise should have been a lot higher. And both both netminders kept it to a 2-1 game with outstanding play. I, it was It was actually quite enjoyable to watch the two of them uh, in their craft last night. I know it gets lost in the midst of what is the reality, which is where Buffalo is struggling right now. Yes. Now, when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York, Seneca Resorts and Casinos. The betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. So whether you visit Seneca, Niagara, Allegheny or Buffalo Creek, the Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens. Don't we know all about that, Marty? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you never miss a play. And that's assuming your app is working, which mine now is. Uh, the sports book <laughs> at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Yeah, not even a two-hour phone call with Apple uh, could uh, prevent the Sabres from, you know, losing last night. Uh, I got good technical help, so I feel like I was, you know. Good for good, you. Good for you. Making you know, sure I, I felt like working. I needed to tip the cap to them just because, you know, I cringe like most people do at the idea of having a long slash unnecessary conversation about billing and or technical issues. Yes. <laughs> um, but the the uh, the rep on the other end with Apple was <laughs> was pretty amazing. Like I did felt the work. Like, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I it's impossible to not have uh emotions at this time of year um holiday season and we think about so many and um this will be the first uh this will be the first holiday season for the johnson family to not have adam yeah uh who we lost at the end of october um that tragic um accident in uh in the uk so i as you know i'm wearing um, the tribute jersey, which the Nottingham yep. Panthers um, released as a way to uh, raise money for Adam's family. And um, I just wanted to honestly thank them for for doing this under the most impossible and unimaginable circumstances as an organization. And um, it's just nice to know that the hockey world can can agree on one thing every now and again, and that is doing all they can to, to, to support the Johnson family. No. And the uh, hockey community is always there to support one another. We've seen it now for the last month with Hockey Fights Cancer and uh, support that everybody's given. But the same thing here with Adam Johnson, obviously, that's important. Now, here's my my thing. Um, now, the World Juniors and every international competition will mandate neck guards, right? So mm-hmm. it will be something that's going to be happening at the World Juniors this year, you're going to see every junior players with the long neck guards to protect themselves, right? Unfortunately, it 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 took somebody's life to now mandate that. Remember years ago, that little girl in Columbus that took a puck, uh, a flying puck from, you know, that left the ice, and she later passed away at the hospital. And mm-hmm. then they went to put the netting around. Like, there's been enough that we should know now to be proactive and not be reactive with these type of situation. And it's unfortunate because we lose people when we shouldn't. And so hopefully there's going to be even more changes that will mm-hmm. come, not just with the neck guard, wrist guard sucks and, and, and leg protection because there was a goalie in Niagara 
a couple of years back that almost passed away from a, a, a cut in the leg. Like you mm. need to be able to be proactive now and not reactive. And unfortunately, um, this was a, you know, a tragic incident that now will lead to change. Uh, around the NHL quickly, what is one player or team that you want to mention? Uh, I want to mention Quentin Byfield of the LA Kings. Oh my gosh. Okay. Go. Why? Why are you saying, oh my gosh? I honestly, I was in awe watching him on the ice and off on Sunday night. He was interviewed either pregame or in admission. And then because of his near first NHL hat trick was interviewed postgame as well. Yes. And then everything I watched with him in game, I was in disbelief that this kid is still 21. I was looking at him as this 10 year veteran, so mature, so ready to take the next step and is doing so with Kopitar and Kempe, man, what an impressive young man. It was really, really fun to watch. So again, it tells me, you have to be patient and you have to be able to evaluate the young players for what it is. Sometimes they're just young, right? Quentin Byfield uh, played as a 19 year old with the LA Kings at 10 points in 40 games, then played as a 20 year old with the LA Kings at 20 points, only three goals in 53 games. You're thinking like, is this guy ever going to live up to his draft pedigree where he was second overall, right? In mm-hmm. 2020. And you're thinking, Oh, maybe, maybe he will, maybe he won't. And then this year, now he's got six goals in the last, uh, is it six goals in the last six games? No, it's four I, goals in the last six games, I believe. Yeah, but he's, he's been close to a point a game all year. Yeah, so. he's 18 points. Yeah, he's 18 mm-hmm. points in 21 games, but he does have four goals in the last six games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he looks like, you say, a 15-year veteran on the ice. He <laughs> acts like one. He's got strong maturity defensively to his game, and it's leading mm-hmm. to offense. I have been really impressed with Quentin Byfield and the LA Kings. Well, the one that I was going to bring up was Artemi Panarin. Oh, (laughs) And honestly, I think it's really interesting that the greatest playmaker in the NHL since he came in second only to Connor McDavid has now become someone who is chasing the Rocket Richard trophy. Do you know why this might be happening? Uh, well, it's not a contract year, so that that's not going to work. Like He has some... taken his shots per game from oh, two yeah. and a half to almost 3.9, which may not seem like a lot, but 3.9 puts you in the realm of almost all the game's best goal scorers. Yes. And I find it interesting, obviously, which is why I'm bringing it up, that someone can... I don't know, adapt, evolve. I I don't even know what the right word is, Marty, because it's not like the, the roster has changed that much in New York. It's not like he's being asked to do something different. All the same cast members are there, but he decided to shave his head <laughs> and come into this season. And it's clearly a different guy for, you know, obviously the benefit of the Rangers right now. No, he's definitely, a, and, and look, think about another player who was first overall that sees that year that Quentin Byfield was second overall was Alexa Lafreniere, right? And all of a sudden he just, he's put in a different situation playing with Panarin and Zibanejad and he's moved around the top six, but he's playing with great players. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden Lafreniere is, 
performing at a high level, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. working. Quentin Byfield performing at a high level. It's working. Yeah. Artemi Panarin, um, yeah, he's got a joy for the game. And, and you cannot stop watching him. And that's why, like, Patrick Kane's going to be coming into Buffalo on oh. Tuesday night with the Red Wings. He may play his first game of the season. And I was – I felt cheated last year when Kane went to the Rangers because – he and Panarin did not get back that chemistry that they had before. Well, now you know why, because Kane was not healthy and he couldn't do some of the things, right. but man, right. wouldn't that have been great to see Panarin and Kane do the, the things that they did in Chicago before, you know, Panarin went to Columbus and then the Rangers, like it would have been awesome. So I feel like we got cheated a little bit with that last year. Okay. Lastly, we'll end on the Amherst note. Uh, they are home this Friday. It's their only game this week. Amherst Amber Ale is back at the Blue Cross Arena this Friday. Thanks to our friends at uh, the Genesee Brewery. So uh, if that wasn't a reason to head there, um, you now have that reason to head there. It'll presumably be game three for Devin Levi, who played both yep. games over the weekend in Belleville. What'd you think? Uh, what I think is that the first game was, uh, you know, it was good for Levi. I mean, really? in the second, it was really good. I mean, he made 30, no, 40 saves and then all four in a shootout. Um, I'll be honest with you. I didn't see the highlights of the second game. I know the numbers mm -hmm. and look, I, they lost four, two and he stopped but, 30 of 34. He yeah. Fine. Which it yeah. was fine. He, it, that wasn't the numbers would suggest that was fine, but you're not going to go down to the AHL and all of a sudden be 29 and 0 in 29 games. Like that's not going to happen. You still have to work through your, your, your progression, your maturity, your development. And so for me, he went down with a good attitude. He seems to be working hard, a lot and he's going to play a lot, which is also important. So um, I can't wait to see what the next couple of weeks will do for his playing on the ice and if he continues to play a lot of games. So that's that to me is uh, is important for him to develop. So, But before we go anywhere, Duffer, uh, because oh. we're going to wrap it up here, um, I just want to ask you a question. Uh -huh. And because we have this debate a lot about what is great, and that's not a word you like to use, and what sucks, right? And and there's so <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm saying not familiar that, with this debate. I okay. only know the I only know the great the great debate. Great. Now I came across a great clip last night of Jerry Seinfeld when he did a special for Netflix a few years back, and he says the only two way to judge things is either it's great or it sucks. But they're really close to one another, right? Because you talk to a friend and they say, "Hey, did you see that movie? It was great." Oh, really? I thought it sucked. Like it's like great and sucked are so close to one another. And he talks about food and how you know you go to a restaurant and somebody says it's a great restaurant and eh, the food kind of sucked. But you go to a ball game and you get a cold hot dog that's wrapped in foil and you love it it's great but it sucks but it's great so he talks about how great and suck are so close to one another okay so yeah. i take it to the sabers this year and i'm saying okay your penalty kill is better this year it's great uh, well you know what no the results are not there so really it sucks right um you look at your shooting percentage last season it was 11 percent. that's great this year it's 9.8 percent it sucks it's 1.2% away. The difference between sucks and great is, is so close. The save percentage. Last year, it sucked. It was 890. This year, UPL is great. It's 886. It's going backwards, but it's great. Like The difference between great and suck is so close right? that I feel that the last week gave you that look, and the next week could give you that look again. Mm -hmm. Sabres, at this time of year last year, we're 11, 13, and 1. Mm -hmm. They were great early on, 
because they started the season what seven and two, I believe, and then they lost eight in a row. Mm -hmm. So the great and suck was right there. This year, they're 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 not losing eight in a row, but they've also not been in a seven and two stretch. Mm -hmm. So they suck, but really they're the same place. So I think it's interesting. Google Jerry Seinfeld, uh, great sucks debate. It's a fun, fun three and a half minutes to watch. Suck less, be great. We'll see More. you soon. <laughs>